Welcome to the Removing Barriers podcast. I'm Paul Lloyd. I'm the Education Program Manager here at the Target Center, and I'm very happy to have with me today two individuals working with the National Disability Mentoring Coalition, Derek Shields and Sarah Fernandez, and they're going to share with you their stories today, hopefully, and and talk about their experience with removing barriers and mentoring for individuals with disabilities. Um, So we're excited to have you. Thank you for being here. Um, First and foremost, I know Derek loves it when we do the acronym game, but I heard you're not supposed to do the same thing over and over on podcasts or people tune you out. So today, first time only, I have a device in my pocket that I want to show you. And I will ask Sarah to start off uh, trying to describe this to our audience with no prior knowledge of this. What are you looking at? Um, I don't know. It's, I think it's, <laughs> I, I, I feel like it's something that people who are visually impaired use during a meeting, but maybe not. I, it looks like, uh, like a Nintendo... Oh, I'm making a hand thing. Um, I don't. The new Nintendo Switch. Yeah, no, the <laughs> Nintendo like a Nintendo DS handheld thing, but it doesn't have as many buttons or a screen. Oh, okay. Yeah, Mr. Shields. I agree with Sarah. It does look like a like a Nintendo game uh, controller. Um, I would describe it as a portable Braille note taker. Ah. Yes, is that what it is? It is. And what oh, color? Nice. What color is it? It's black and. Uh, has some blue keys on it, and there are white refreshable braille dots. Okay, so it, very pretty. It is very it is a nice looking device. So if your life depended on it, could you type in braille right now? Uh, no. Yeah, neither could I. Uh, but it is really cool. You can somehow you can type in braille. They're called cords, and the braille shows up on a refreshable braille display, and you can kind of read what's on the screen. So. Yeah, it's interesting. I just wanted to bring that out for our audience because we thought, well, let's bring in some technology and, and see what it's like for, I don't want to say strangers, but people in the field to kind of, but who have not, did not know about the technology to, you know, kind of describe it. So um, that's some of a challenge we have with the podcasts and some other mediums is, okay, what if we have somebody who's listening who is blind and we got to describe to them, you know, what we're looking at, a piece of technology. So kind of an experiment. So thank you for participating in that as we start off. Uh, so with that in mind, you guys are with NDMC, which stands for, did I say it correctly, National Disability Mentoring Coalition? Yep. Derek, do you mind just talking briefly about about that organization, uh, how you got involved, and then you know why you um, thought of bringing Sarah along today? That would be a great start. Sure. Be glad to. Thanks for having us, Paul. It's good to be here today. Yeah, the National Disability Mentoring Coalition uh, started uh, about three years ago in December of uh, 2014. And uh, there was a group of us that were involved with mentoring programs um, in providing mentoring or uh, a practitioner of mentoring, um, and others were mentors. And we talked about the, um, the fragments that exist in uh, the country around mentorship for uh, youth, young adults, and adults with disabilities. And uh, 
had this idea if we were able to bring together the fragmented uh, programs, models, and voices that we would be able to um, advocate at a, a, a louder level together to improve mentoring opportunities for these uh, populations that we cared about. Um, so we, we did that, and uh, here we are three years later, and it's, a, it's been a journey. And along the way, we went from 10 founding members in that uh, process uh, to um, now 50 members. And um, Saren and I uh, met uh, a year ago uh, yesterday. Um, actually, here at the Department of Agriculture, we met a year ago yesterday. A year ago it yesterday, our, it's our one-year anniversary. <laughs> and um, USDA hosted Commissioner Kai Feldblum. Um, oh yes. Uh, for a keynote address here, and Sarah helped me uh, set that up. And in doing that, we kind of hit it off in conversation. And um, since then, we've stayed in touch. And in effect, I. Either she roped me in or I roped her in, but we're, uh, that's why she's here today, because we, we kind of see eye to eye on a lot of these things and have fun working together. Sarah, is that the same? Is that true? Is that what really happened from your perspective? Well, yes, that really happened. Um, I, I did not know it was our one-year anniversary of meeting yesterday. Should have flowers. But I know, right? How wonderful. But yeah, no, uh, Derek and I really, when we met... Um, when Commissioner Feldblum was speaking at, it was at the National Disability Employment Awareness Month event at USDA last year. And yeah, it's been great to get to know him and help him to expand NDMC. And I mean, I'm still kind of, I'm kind of old, but I'm not, but I'm still technically a youth-ish. So it's nice to kind of help to give that voice to NDMC as well. Yes, I was told you are a young professional, so... A young um, professional. You still qualify I still, under that good. category. And I'm, that is I'm not, good. <laughs> I, I, don't think, I think I've graduated from that, You've, so... It's all what you think. <laughs> Whatever is really in your heart, that's how old you are. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, part of what we like to do is um, go back, and we'll start with you, Sarah. Let's kind of go back in time. If you can think of some, some key moments, maybe, uh, in your life that would just kind of pop up that sort of, you know, maybe meant a lot to you in terms of removing barriers or um, life experiences that you know, got you passionate about this work, anything along those lines you think you might want to share with our audience? Sure. So there are two situations in my life that I really remember. The first one really doesn't have to do with disability at all, but it really kind of connected me with the like the, the aspects of being a person with a disability and the hardships that we face in our life, but it also connected me with the community. Um, and that was when I was an undergrad. So I went to Allegheny College in Meadville, Pennsylvania. And Meadville, Pennsylvania is a very small rural town about an hour and a half outside of Pittsburgh um, that doesn't really have much. It has a, a very good college, but the rest of the town is very uneducated and very just... It, it, they just they stay there. They don't they don't go away to college or anything. Um, but Allegheny brings professionals. So and the way that r- removing barriers kind of got to me and it kind of was. I kind of learned a lot about. It was a lot of like I learned a lot about myself in this situation. And when I it I it was kind of the first time I experienced poverty for the first time and not not my own necessarily but the lives of the people there. And I saw so. I, I met the, the principal. She was a middle school principal. Oh, I don't remember her name now, but 
she, I really connected with her. And she, we were talking about the kids and how they didn't, like, they never saw any future. They had no desire in school. These are middle school kids. And I, it was really hard for me to understand how, because I was always, school was always important to me. But for these kids, it wasn't. And they didn't mind. And this 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 the principal she we we talked about how they they didn't have anyone to look up to they didn't there was nothing there was nothing there for them their parents didn't have a future and they just didn't care and that was it was just very shocking to me and that moment just stays in my head i'm just like why you know they're still kids they haven't like they haven't even experienced life and how do you help them and so that i mean that kind of sparked my interest and you you meet these kids and a lot of them have learning disabilities, and but you just want to help them. And so, I I actually from there I started a a, a service program with um, kids with they a lot of them had learning disabilities, but they were also involved with juvenile delinquency. And it 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 was we we mentored them and helped them to like do their homework, just spend time with people who are in college to see they have a future. So that was the first that was the first situation. The second one that. Um, it, this actually really has to do with mentoring and kind of, and it has to do with Washington, D.C. barriers. So when I moved to D.C. about three years ago, oh, over three years ago now, wow, that went really fast. Um, I kind of came here on a whim. One of my mentors, Rebecca Coakley, who's part of the Susan M. Daniels Mentoring Hall of Fame, she, I got an internship when she was the executive director at National, um, National Council on Disability, and but that was just, and I, I, I just came to DC on a whim and did that. Um, but when I got here, I didn't realize how hard it was to break in. I mean, I w- I'm a lawyer. I, w- I finished law school. I had a, lots of education. I knew some people, but I was stuck. It was so hard. Even after all the education, it was so hard for me to get a job. So it, it like and it was it was hard I was I didn't know what to do and so I really relied on the people around me and I had to really kind of push myself to meet people because that's the only way I'm gonna like get a job so it was I mean luckily it worked and luckily I was able to really connect with like older people and colleagues who would like who I who would tell me about jobs and everything but it took me almost a year to get a job when I moved here yeah so do you think that is there something that you wish that you did have? <laughs> right. Right. So I wish that I had no like I had someone who really looked out for me before I got here and who would really tell me what it's really going to be like because DC is a very hard place to develop your career if you don't have any connections here. And I and I found that like now that I and my career is starting to get well established Anytime I have a chance to kind of pay it forward or to help people get a job here or to connect them with someone that is good, then I try to do it because it's real. It's really hard when you don't have any footing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, Derek, uh, before we get into your history, what's your reaction to what Sarah just shared in terms of you know what you've seen uh, from your involvement in mentoring and the role that it can have? Well, I like. I heard a couple themes come up there that um, really resonate with me. <clears throat> I've spent almost three years talking to a lot of young people from across the country. And um, the first one comes about with um, your experience um, seeing poverty 
And I think there's a, a great assumption by many people who are in the field that come from privilege that don't really understand what the majority of people um, have to live with. And so reframing our understanding of where a lot of youth are coming from is a place of maybe not in poverty, but it's closer to poverty than it is to the privileged position that many of us come from. So um, that's a consistent theme that there's a struggle with. And I think that's interesting how it bridges over um, to your, your second point is um, I, I have a mentee right now who is in D.C. She's been here for eight months and she's experiencing the same thing that Sarah experienced when she came. She came to D.C. with a job and yet she can't break in to a network as a, a young African-American woman with a disability. Uh, she's very isolated here. And I, I think it's really common even though we have a lot of people that care and there's a lot of programs that exist to change that, um, we have so many people that don't know how to, to navigate and network and have confidence in themselves in doing so. Um, so I, I'm just I'm echoing what she's saying because I believe it, I've been hearing it, and it's why I'm really passionate about uh, trying to, to help uh, draw more attention to this because we have an opportunity to create change for thousands, if not uh, millions of people. Um, we just got to draw, draw our time uh, and steer it towards this, this challenge. Is there, this might be a strange question, but either of you can answer this or both. <laughs> do, is, do you see where having a disability um, in certain cases could could, and we're talking about the, kind of the challenges you might face, extra challenges in, in trying to get a job, needing mentoring, et cetera. But are there some advantages that you have as well um, by having a disability? Or is that totally off base? Just wondering if anybody had thoughts on that. If there's like a... I, th- I, I mean, I, th- I think that it depends on where you are in your individual growth and your individual acceptance of who you are in your disability and how it's shaped your identity and how you talk about it. Because, I mean, I know for me that, I mean, I'm a very, I have a physical disability and I'm very memorable, which is a good or a bad thing, you know? So if I meet someone in a professional capacity, if I meet someone and I have a very good conversation with them, I'm very well-spoken, that's a benefit because they're going to remember me over someone who, who does not have a visible disability. Um, I mean, I, I think that's the biggest benefit. I think also maybe um, it, you just have a different frame of view, a point of, point of view, frame of view, point of view, that you, you think of things differently. So you're, it's a benefit to any career, any job place, because you think of situations or workplace conflicts or just everyday work projects probably a little bit different than someone without a disability because of the experiences you bring with you to work. Absolutely. Okay. Well, did you have anything else you want to chime in there? I, I often hear that people um, with disabilities, you know, they say, like, I have to overcome challenges that people without disabilities do not. Um, and I see that, and that attaches to the Department of Labor's theme, I think, Inclusion drives innovation. If disability inclusion might drive innovation. Um, at the same rate, I'd, I'd like to just share this quick comment. I had 
I was fortunate to have breakfast the other morning with Judy Human, a longtime disability rights activist, and most people are familiar with Judy. This was the first time I ever met with her, and she asked me why we call it disability mentoring. And she looked me in the eye and she said, Derek, isn't it just mentoring? And I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and at times we find that people with disabilities look for role models and mentors with disabilities to talk about like perspective. And so I don't know if that's overcoming challenge, but it's having a sounding board and an influencer that comes from a like community that has an understanding. And uh, so I agree with Judy, and at the same rate, I do know that there's people that look for uh, role models uh, that they might not have from other sectors um, that can be understanding and supportive in a different way. So I think that's, that's an important part. Yeah, well, great points, both of you guys. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a difficult topic, but we talk about it in the employment world, where it, like, you talk about how you inclusion. Wait, wait, what's the, we might as well just say it. What's the uh, inclusion drives innovation? Yeah, that's the <laughs> yes. theme. Yes, the that's end, what it is. National Disability Employment Awareness Month. Ding, ding, ding. Acronym. <laughs> um, that is, um, yeah, and that's the theme. And obviously, inclusion from different perspectives brings a lot to the workplace. But you know, I don't know if people think about it as much. Uh, you know, during the the job search um, process. So it's interesting. All right, well, Derek, uh, you brought us some, um, some great insights already, of course, but people are, they haven't heard your background quite yet, so uh, why don't you share with us how you, um, how you got involved? Tell in the, us, Derek. Yes. What's the real Tell story? Us. Yeah, what's your deal? So, <laughs> what's your deal? I, you know, I don't really tell the story too often, although I talk about mentoring um, a few times a month to audiences. Um, Personally, uh, my first mentors, like, like many, um, were my parents. Um, so I credit um, much of my involvement to their influence. Um, they uh, pushed me to find other mentors. Um, and as Paul, you wrote an article about how teachers can be mentors, and there's others that, as youth, you often find. Um, I had a lot of coaches that were really good mentors, um, but I also participated in um, Rochester, New York area, and a program uh, called Junior Achievement. Uh, so I have many business mentors that spent time with youth in um, uh, understanding um, the operations of a business. Uh, so I have much thanks to offer to um, employees from Rochester businesses, Bausch & Lomb, Kodak, and Xerox, that volunteered their time uh, for four years uh, and influenced me and uh, setting me in the direction that I've gone. Uh, so that would be the first one. I think is, um, you know, I, I was fortunate to have uh, mentors early and understand how to, um, in effect, use them in life as a part of my, my team. Uh, the second one is interesting. Not only do we have a one-year anniversary, uh, uh. but um, I also went to undergrad in Pennsylvania. Hmm. Uh, Did you tell me that? I don't think we... We, no. we haven't dated that much in no. this one year. Just one year. Yeah. So I went to uh, Bucknell University. Oh, you did tell me that. Yeah, so I was in central Pennsylvania, um, which is also a rural place. Only two things in, in uh, Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. There's uh, Bucknell, and there's a maximum federal penitentiary. Oh. Um, luckily, I was at Bucknell. <laughs> <laughs> um, my sophomore year, I had a, a roommate for a semester, uh, Bucknell, uh, who was a, a blind guy. 
And uh, I saw uh, firsthand what was possible. Um, instead of watching uh, media narratives over uh, about overcoming disability, I saw somebody who uh, lived life to the fullest and um, had no issues with uh, approaching the barriers um, that were in front of him, uh, which I was astounded by at first, and then just learned that it was part of every day. Um, he went on to uh, be a researcher at, uh, with whale researching, and then actually went on to become a rocket scientist, and um, was one of the most successful. Yeah, wow. very successful individual. He happened to be blind. So I got firsthand understanding of reasonable accommodation um, and also um, success. Um, and so when I see these two worlds and I combine them, it's really fed into my interest in mentoring and um, inclusion and in disability work because um, I think if more people are afforded those opportunities, then they might not become rocket scientists, but they can identify what they want to become and then go after it and, and obtain their personal vision. Great. Well, I suppose that does make you qualified to talk on this subject, so we'll allow <laughs> you to continue to contribute. Well, Speaking of qualified, Sarah, um, so, all right, so you went to Allegheny, yes. and then you had an internship, and then you came to... No. You said well, something. Maybe, was I, is my listening comprehension already a Well, problem? there's a lot of things that happened since... Allegheny and then Washington. Well, I know that's what I'm saying. Oh, I'm okay. trying to like, <laughs> trying to fill that in myself. Oh, okay. Do you want to guess? Oh. Well, <laughs> well most people either go back home. Wait, so where, I'm sorry, where are you from? I'm from Pittsburgh, so Pennsylvania. most people either go back home or stay where their college is or move to a city center such as D.C. or New York. So I'm going to guess you went back to Pittsburgh for a while? So Yeah, so I graduated... <laughs> Uh, well, kind of. I graduated Allegheny in 2010. Oof. Getting old. Um, 2010. Then I went, I moved back to Pittsburgh and I went to Pitt Law, University of Pittsburgh Law School, um, and where I got my Juris Doctorate and a Master in Social Work. And then I moved to D.C. in 2014. Yeah. So, but you, not in that order, so we... Can you get them at the same time? Or yeah, I got a joint degree. So some universities wow. have joint degrees. So while separately, like the master in social work would have taken two years and the law degree would have taken three, but together they took four because some of the semesters overlap in the school. So you can take classes at both places. Excellent. Mm -hmm. And so where did you live during that time? I, I lived in Pittsburgh. Oh. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't move home to my parents' house, but I lived near the university. So how was that experience? Because we've had other people come on and talk about New York and, and D.C. versus the rural side of things and then the university settings. How is Pittsburgh in terms of accessibility in general? So Pittsburgh is not very, it's not very accessible. The disability community is growing, but it's also aging. Um, um, the disability community is mostly focused in, like, the ADA coordinator within the city and then at the universities. Um but public transportation, there are just buses. We also have a like a, tr a trolley system, which is our I guess our subway, but it didn't really go. It doesn't really go to the university area. So accessibility wise, like physically, is is hard. I had but Pittsburgh's also a city that you can drive in. Parking isn't as bad as DC, so I was able to drive around. I had my car easily. I mean, I walked some places, took the bus. That I mean, I could park in the parking garage right by the school, so that was okay. Um, 
But the disability culture, I really, I really didn't get that involved with it until, um, until I re- I moved into DC. Um, it, I don't know. I I was also in class all the time, so I didn't. I didn't. When you're a law student, you really have no time to breathe, eat, or sleep. You just go to class, and you're on autopilot all the time. So it. I, I don't know. I know the physical accessibility. I don't really know about the social accessibility because I didn't real I wasn't really part of the disability community in DC. I mean I I mean in Pittsburgh. I met people, but a lot of they were all older professionals and there wasn't really a young group of people with disabilities there. And hence why I didn't feel that like there are a lot of amazing disability advocates from Pittsburgh. Joyce Bender, you know, from Bender Consulting lives there. And oh um Catherine Seelman, who was on NCD's council, she just retired from Pitt. And they're and both you know her Hall of Famers, but yeah. oh really awesome disability mentoring yeah. Hall of Fame. So they're both they're both amazing people, but and I would go back to Pittsburgh, but my I didn't I didn't connect I couldn't con- there's no one my age no one there might be now but I I left because I didn't feel the sense of community there at that time. So, and then you chose D.C. I mean, that's what, was that was the opportunity, or that's where you wanted to be, and then find the opportunity? I, that's where I wanted to be. And um, Be- Becca knew that I wanted to be here, and so I didn't really know how to go about the job search or anything, or what organizations, or how to apply for the federal government, but I had, but I had the internship, so which was a great opportunity. I mean, it would have been amazing to have a job, but it gave me six months or so to try to figure out everything about D.C. And th- then when I moved here, the disability community is very active and very, I mean, they're very active. It's hard It's hard to build relationships, but it's very different than Pittsburgh. So, and, but did you, besides the internship connection, did you feel that you had a mentor or two along the way that helped you out? When I, in where? In Pittsburgh or? Yeah, in yeah, DC? before you came here. In, yeah, I connected a lot with the dean of my law school. Um, with the so with the his name was Dean Kevin DC. He was the dean of students, and he I just I felt like he had my back. But it wasn't a disability connection. It was just helping me through law school. Sure. Um, but the first disability no, and there was a prof- there's a professor at my law school named Jules Lobel who I also I he helped mentor me and help he actually helped me establish connections in DC. Um, but in terms of disability mentors, Becca was definitely my first one. She still is one of the most important people in my live life. Um, I, and over the years, since like mentoring became very important to me as I developed my career. You know, especially the disability aspect. I mean, there there are lots of people who I consider mentors who don't have disabilities. But when you connect, when but the, when I've connected with people who have disabilities and who have helped me to establish my career and grow, it's I connect with them on such a deeper level. It's it's hard to even explain it if when you haven't experienced it, but it, connecting with them on that deeper level, they just they just get you, you know, and they know they went through it the same experience as you, especially if you're trying to establish a professional career. So over the years, I mean. Becca has been is one of my greatest friends, and her husband Patrick, and she's one of the best mentors. Um, Anupa Iyer at EEOC, who's also one of my closest friends now, she's the reason that I was able to get a job at EEOC, and has helped me 
in my current job and is always there and help and giving me any opera. The great thing about Anupa is that when there's an opportunity for me to come and work on a project too, we work at the same agency that she always is like, Oh, you should get involved in this. So it, it just, it helps. It helps, you know, and that's what a mentor should do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and for, yeah. for both of you really, I guess, so you, this is one of the most weird questions. Sorry, but you um. Oh. So when you, uh, when you, so there's two. Let's just nothing is this cut and dry. But just for sake of conversation, let's say you can have a you have mentors that do have disabilities and experience navigating that world, and then just mentors that have experience with mentoring, but not necessarily disability. You know, it could be, it could be either way. It sounds like you know you, you kind of benefit from both, yeah. But um, but the there's more of a connection sometimes with on the disability side. So my question is, and maybe through NDMC, is this something that is that you promote to young people, or is it more like the approach that uh, who did you have breakfast with again? I'm Judy. Judy. Judy, Judy. Judy. Yeah, sorry, Judy. Sorry, Judy. Uh, you cannot forget her name. I'm sorry, <laughs> Judy. Judy. Oh my Judy goodness. Yes. So. When she said, "Well, isn't it just mentoring?" Like when we talk, when we talk to the young people, like which which approach is better, one or the other, or both? I'm I'm just curious, everybody's thoughts on that. I'll start, yeah. and then you build yeah. off of it. I, um, as you know, I don't identify as having a disability. I live with a couple people that have disabilities, but um, so I'll frame this from a personal perspective, and that does fuel some of the NDMC strategy. Um, I have learned more from my mentors with disabilities and my mentees with disabilities than I've learned from the non-disabled mentors and mentees I've had. So as a person without disabilities, I've learned more by my engagement. So reverse mentoring is a key strategy for us all to understand differences and use the connection and the relationships. So in that sense, I find matching people without disabilities with people with disabilities, there's much to gain. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I, every time I have the discussion, it's clear that the, let's say, mentee with a disability, I introduce to others with disabilities, and I hope that they'll build teams of relationships. Like, so you have a, a, a mentoring family, and it evolves over time. Um, so it really turns into discussion about how to maintain a network and attach to mentors with and without disabilities when needed to help you fulfill your your destinational goals. And those could be career-oriented, um, or they might just be community inclusion or challenges in, in other departments, as we might all face. Yeah, I, I agree with Derek. Um, I find myself that I tend to really develop strong like relationships with women um, with women who have disabilities who are very career driven and who are really making a name for themselves I mean that's just my personality I went to school for a bazillion years that it just that just I feel like I identify a lot with them and I especially identify also with people who have I mean even if they don't have a disability but Maybe when they're from, um, an, uh, they're, they identify with other minority cultures because we all, I mean, I f- I've really found, um, I don't know, other people might not agree, but uh, people who have faced any sort of prejudice, discrimination in their lives because of one of their identifiable characteristics, whatever minority group they're from, or, or they know people and they're very connected with people who have experienced it, 
they have a much deeper understanding of life and just like what it's like to struggle and to to not be accepted in society. So it just and I don't think it, someone needs to have a disability. And I mean, it would be great if we didn't need to have a, like a coalition just for disability mentoring. It'd be great if society was like that. But the disability community is still behind the rest of the world, the rest of the communities, and it's it's sad. And but in I don't know, but I know that like for me, I know the characteristics that I recognize in someone that I would want to be a mentor, someone who has experienced like struggles and they are have gotten to a point in their own development that they're okay about talking about it and how they overcame it. But like like they live it, and but they don't need to have a disability necessarily. It's just. I, my mentors have usually been women with older women with disabilities because who are who've grown their careers just because it's just what I identify with and who you want to be right yeah exactly who I want to be and who I admire exactly yeah yeah (laughs) okay yeah no that's great Um, so and you know full disclosure for our audio audience I am you know one of these privileged people that we're talking about i don't identify having a disability we're not talking about i'm from new jersey and i you know i my parents were able to pay for my school and all these things so um you know i'm from that group and and i benefit immensely from all of these and even just these interactions here with the podcast so for me that's what i started to think about we talk about mentoring and how someone who has a disability could benefit from both perspectives but, and I guess the natural follow to that is anybody who's being mentored could benefit from the, both all those perspectives as well. And you throw in other diversity uh, perspectives as well. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is that something that's kind of being approached as well? Making sure that people without disabilities are getting that uh, interaction, that mentoring uh, from that group with individuals with disabilities? Yeah, we've embedded that in the DNA of the organization. I think it's important that you know folks know that the mentoring coalition is uh, relatively underfunded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what we do is largely voluntary, and um, so in our intentional direction to be uh, intergenerational, inter and intersectional, um, it's slow growth because we don't have a staff. Um, but in doing that growth, uh, we are purposeful about it. Um, so that means, like on, that's um, great, on Wednesday of next week, I'm doing, as NDMC co-chair, a briefing uh, for um, the State Department on mentoring as an inclusion strategy for a delegation from Lebanon. Wow. And, I, and I've, I've reached out to four or five um, people with disabilities who uh, come from different intersectional populations to join me because we want to have peer-to-peer discussions there. And if I go in and do it, I can tell them what's going on, but there isn't a peer discussion. So um, we will have attendees representing uh, different perspectives, including my mentee. And the point with that is that we want reverse mentoring to happen in the entire DNA of the program. So there's more of a youth voice in decision-making, but the decision-making is also fueled by the perspective of young people with disabilities who, in effect, are the people that we're trying to serve. Um, so uh, hopefully that represents what you were, you were asking. Oh, definitely. It's good to hear that that's out there. Um, so we do not want to um, take over our customers' 
earbuds for too long, <laughs> so we will get into just a couple standard things, and then we'll wrap up and thank you for your time. But um, so I guess, th- and this is different than any other one we've done before. But I'm hoping, first of all, we'll start with Sarah. You keep saying I this know is this is nothing like pulling out a technology. <laughs> out this is just you know, and you know, it's up to you how much you want to share here, but. Okay, just the bottom line though, like who you know who you are. So you're Sarah Fernandez. You know yep. what you do, and then how you remove, how you believe you remove barriers for others. Okay, um, that's put me on the spot. Yes. Okay. Um, so I'm. St- wait, I'd say my name. Well, you don't have to do. Okay. That. <laughs> well, it's Sarah talking. Okay, so I'm an attorney. I work for the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Uh, I work for Commissioner Feldblum. Um, EEOC has five commissioners, and um, it's a bipartisan commission. So I work for her. But actually, today, tomorrow is my last day there, which is very sad and bittersweet after, like, two and a half years at the commission. And tomorrow I—not tomorrow. Tomorrow's Friday. On Monday, I start at the Department of Homeland Security um, in their Office of Civil Rights and Civil Liberties, which is very exciting. Um, but how do I remove barriers? I think— I remove barriers because I I think my struggles, especially since I've been in D.C., especially in my career growth, I know what it was like to not have any idea how to find how to maneuver yourself in in D.C. to get a job to build your career, even as with a professional degree. So I think everything I do, kind of, I and I said this before, I pay it forward for people behind me, you know. Like, for example, the person who is taking over my job for Commissioner Feldblum, I met her, her um, she, she, um, and I knew that she was looking for a job. And when, I, when my opportunity became available, I connected my bosses with her. So I think my, my like, I, what, what did you say? What is it called? Breaking down? Bar- removing Remo- barriers. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> my, that's, that's what, my removing barriers, I pay it forward. I mean, also I try to live in, in every, every conversation. I try to teach people that don't understand what it's like to have a disability or don't understand what it's like to struggle in society and just keep disability employment, especially on, especially in the federal sector on everyone's mind. So it just become one day it'll just become part of what everyone thinks about when they think about, Oh, how do we advertise this job? How do we retain people? And it's just part of it. So it's that, so it's that part, and then it's the pay it forward, because people have helped me, so I help the next group, and as soon and every time I can, I try, you know, because it, it took me a lot to learn, and I, I mean, I don't, I'm not like, I'm like, I'm not super awesome yet, but I'm getting there, you know. So, <laughs> Derek, so. is she, is she super awesome? <laughs> She's super awesome. She's I mean, being modest, folks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Derek. Yeah, this is Derek talking again. So um, I I have, um, you know, as co-chair of the National Disability Mentoring Coalition, it's one hat I wear, uh, and it obviously focuses on mentoring solutions to increase community inclusion. Um, so we'll talk about that and removing barriers, but what I do outside of that is I work for three different consulting companies. They're all headquartered in the National Capital Region here in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, one of them is Ford Works Consulting, and that group is focused on um, taking uh, policies, programs, and practices and, and evolving them to really um, uh, push the agenda forward. Um, it, you know, so we heard some timeframes from 
from Sarah. I'll give you a couple time frames from me. <laughs> My story is I went to public school in 1975 for the first time. So, um, and, you know, when I was five years old, 1975 is the first year that we um, had the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act and began the mainstreaming of youth with disabilities in the public education system in the country. And um, that meant that those students were in the special ed room. And um, today, you know, I have kids that are in uh, South River High School here in Edgewater, uh, Maryland. And, you know, we've come a long way. Students with disabilities are in their classroom. They're not in separate rooms down the hall, but they're friends with my kids. Um, and I think we're on this continuum where we need to keep pushing forward. And if, if I am quiet about that as a citizen and as a business person, then I'm not helping remove barriers in the education system or in the business environment or in you know, employment in recreation and community living. So I feel it's like all of our obligations to speak our mind and to stop poor or inappropriate behavior. Um, so I kind of call that, I just, I help remove barriers by doing what grandma taught me to do. Mm -hmm. And I see a lot of people out there that have these like parallel ethics where they're like, yeah, you know, I'll do it when it's comfortable or I'll do it when it's good for me. And uh, I know I just don't buy that. Like that's not helping build a better community. And I think that's really, you know, what's in my fabric. And I want to to uh, to share that because if it can change just one person's actions, then do it. Don't wait. Start behaving differently today because it will make the difference for someone today. And that's important when we're talking about uh, removing barriers to allow people access to opportunities. Um, audio describing two thumbs oh, up sorry. <laughs> from Sarah to Derek. I think that means fantastic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'm very lucky to be uh, with two uh, very brilliant, very passionate, caring people making a difference here today. So we are proud to have you guys. And then just to wrap up, uh, thank you for everything. Uh, we're going to be joining all together again in about an hour. Uh, well, when you're listening to this, this will have already happened. We're going to record a webinar focused on um, NDMC and uh, removing barriers. And Why do you have three fingers up? He's got three fingers up. Yeah. Audio describing the W sign language, W? W. 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 Oh, the oh, website. DisabilityMentors.org. Oh. <laughs> yes, please visit us online at DisabilityMentors.org if you have any interest in what we're doing or if you want to reach out to us, you can contact us through email there too. Excellent, yes, and we have a, a toolkit for mentoring and we have a webinar we're putting up today kind of walking through the great work of NDMC and, and some of these resources. So encourage you to check that out uh, and we'll link to that in our podcast listings as well. So just uh, to finish up then, we like to ask everybody to recommend, and you can't choose each other, so get that out of the way now, to recommend someone else, some other organization, uh, or somebody you know doing great work in terms of removing barriers uh, to our audience. Um, can Derek go first? Hold yes, on. he can, because he okay. shared these podcasts before, so he yes, should be Yes, Derek was ready. Okay, hold on. Removing barriers. A resource for folks to connect with for removing barriers. Yes. So, um, uh, well, in terms of uh, 
mentor, mentoring and, and mentorship, um, there's, there's two organizations that I'd like to refer to as practitioners that are great resources. Um, I was at one on Monday, the Institute for Educational Leadership, or IEL. Um, they, they work uh, uh, from the Department of Labor's perspective, but also their own, and they provide uh, really kind of seminal tools and guidance for individuals that are interested in um, uh, accessible uh, and uh, uh, intentional programming for youth with disabilities, young, young adults with disabilities. Uh, so that's in, uh, IEL, and then the other one is out of Boston, Partners for Youth with Disabilities. Um, they've been doing uh, mentoring programs uh, for youth with disabilities for uh, 32 years. Um, and so I, I bring these two up. IEL's been around for decades, and I think like 40 or 50 years, and PYD has been around for 32 years. I appreciate what they've done, because without them, I wouldn't be able to, to help out. And so they're great resources if somebody wants to learn uh, really uh, about how to drive inclusion opportunities for people with disabilities and mentoring, I would uh, hunt out those two organizations. Great. Well, thank you for sharing those. Sarah, does that give you enough time? Yeah. So <laughs> I think I would recommend, um, especially for youth and youth with disabilities, the National Center for National Council, National Center for Independent Living. Is it Center Council? Well, Council. I'm sorry, Kelly Buckland, that I forgot the national. <laughs> He's the executive director. National Council on Independent Living. Um, it's real. It. I. I wish I, I was not involved when I was growing up uh, with independent the independent living movement. But there are independent living centers all throughout the United States, and they're really great. I mean, they they connect they connect people youth with disabilities with all different types of resources, and I'm sure mentoring is included in there. And I think that's a it's an essential. Organization. 403 centers for independent living in the country, all with a requirement for peer counseling, yep. which means youth with disabilities can go find a counselor or a mentor in their community in every state and territory in the, in, in the land. That's a great suggestion. Woohoo! Yes. So, all right. So, with that, Google those places, check them out on your own. And uh, please check out our webinar and disabilitymentors.org. Stop by DHS to see Sarah. By the time you hear this, she'll be there. You can come visit me and give a high five. And check out the rest of the Removing Barriers podcasts on your next commute. So thank you guys for joining us today. And thank you to our audience for listening. Thanks, Paul.